Uh, we are on the second week uh, in the series, mini-series of Churches That Heal. So this last fall, the council and the staff and pastors spent a Friday, Saturday going through uh, Churches That Heal training by the, what's his name, Henry Cloud, the boundaries guy. So, um, which was a little different because he's not primarily a pastor, he's primarily a counselor, a therapist. He's a psychiatrist, he's a psychiatrist. So he leans a little bit more towards that than, than scripture. So when I was coming to preach it, I was like, he didn't give us a lot of grounding, you know what I mean? He didn't give us a lot of grounding for scripture, so it made me think and process for myself. So we're in the, the, um, the series, Churches That Heal. So obviously that must mean some churches don't heal people, that you can go to them and you're not going to get healed. You're not going to grow. You're not going to change. And um, this is one of those series and sermons that I was like, how much do you share? Like as a public speaker, I have overshared, right? There's oversharing. We're like, oh, there's, there's not three of us in this room, Heidi. There's more than that. That was oversharing. And then there's times when you try to be too guarded, to protect myself or to not be too vulnerable. And so some of my stories, I was like, how? So I'm praying today that the Holy Spirit will guide me because I have too many stories, will guide me of what to share and what not to share. So I've gone to church my entire life. And I have gone to churches that I would say are, you know, moderately healthy. Like they heal, they help. And um, like... And I've been to churches that I would say were really, really unhealthy. Like we run into the pastor who was our lead pastor when we were in our 20s. And he's like, I can't believe you're still pastoring after the way I treated you. Like I was such a mess. I can't even believe you guys are still in ministry. Actually, we have had two lead pastors say that to us. I can't believe you guys are still pastoring after the way I was with you guys. I was such a mess. And they've like been through therapy and they're not pastoring anymore. And they're like, you know, took a completely different and apologized to us. And then we also have one pastor who was an alcoholic and committed suicide who was our lead pastor when we were in our 20s. And, and so sometimes you think, why am I still doing this? And I, I don't think I could do anything else. I just don't think I can. And I think that they're just people. They're just people. They're just pastors. They love God, and they had, um, they had hurts, and they had baggage, and they love God a lot. Um, so I read a book a number of years ago, because as you all know, I love to read a lot. And it was talking about churches and all the ways a church could be unhealthy. Like it was just listing all the ways we can abuse people and hurt people and be unhealthy. And the, it just kept going and going. I think I told Kathleen, I'm like, I, I give up. Like how in the world could I think that I could be anywhere near healthy enough to lead a group of people without just wrecking everything. There are just as many ways to be an unhealthy church as there is to be an unhealthy person. Like, think about it. Can't you think of all the ways you could be an unhealthy human being? Like, even if you chose not to, think of them. You could be cruel, you could be mean, you could drink, you could pornography, you could, like, you could just, there's just as many ways to be an unhealthy church. And there are things that take 
that need to be in a church so that the people in the church can grow, so that you can heal. We'll never be perfect. I've heard a lot of people as a pastor, I would say 98% of the time unintentionally. And I probably will if I continue. And a lot of them is because I'm broken in my way, you're broken in your way, and sometimes they come together and we unintentionally hurt people. My trauma is different than your trauma and sometimes you put them in the same space and it's not very beautiful. Amelia had foot surgery this week. That's a little bit why my mind is like this because I'd sit down and she's like, Mom, is it time for my medicine? Mom, my ice pack's not cold anymore. You sit down, Mom, you didn't give me water with my medicine. And I was like, oh my gosh. All right. It took us like two hours to get ready for church this morning. I felt like I had a baby. I was like, I do not like this stage. Um, I'm done with this stage, but I'm being, I think I'm doing pretty good. But, uh, so there's certain things that she needs to heal. Like when you're broken, when your body, when, you're, when the doctors cut off part of your toe and moved it around and cut here and rearranged things, she needs to rest. She needs that foot up. She needs ice. I have to keep the swelling down. I have to keep the medicine. And she needs to sleep a lot. And I, Janice has been back. She's like, I cannot believe how much I am sleeping. You need a lot of rest. And there are certain things that a church needs. There are certain things that we need to have in order to be a place where people can heal. And the one that I'm talking about today is bonding. Like you need to be able to bond with other people. And I was thinking about that in light of our culture because I don't know if it's like you, but most of the podcasts that I listened to recently, like you listen to them and it seems like the topic is isolation, depression, anxiety, loneliness, um, that's people who don't know how to bond. So we're kind of like, the statistics are quite terrifying. Um, I'm trying to remember the name, my mind's not as sharp. David Brooks writes for the New York Times. He is a refreshingly beautiful Christian who writes in such a way that is more inviting than off-putting as a Christian, as he writes, and it's just obvious that he loves Jesus. It's just really lovely. And he was doing a podcast, and he said like 55, I'm pretty sure, 55% of Americans say they have nobody. Not one person that they feel they could be absolutely, totally vulnerable and share themselves with. Not one person. And so... I think that we've lost the art, we've lost the ability to bond on a deep level. Um, A lot of people I highly, highly respect, people that were in charge of my spiritual formation program, and people like Kate Bowler, and you just, they say, everybody needs a therapist. Have you heard this? Everybody needs a therapist. And I just, I have received very good therapy myself, They do have skills that I don't have. However, I wonder if we could learn to actually listen to people. If we could actually learn to ask good questions, like learn these things that somewhere we've forgotten how to know how to do, that maybe we wouldn't all need a therapist. Maybe we actually also need a really good friend. And um, 
it's the, so several of you here are reading The Listening Life, and when I read The Listening Life, it's a book that teaches us how to listen well. And when I first read it, I thought, I do not have any of these skills. I do not, I barely even know what you're talking about. Like, this is so foreign to me. Like, what a weird thing to read. Like, you're reading about how to listen well, and you think, I was never taught this. This is not something I know how to do well. This is something I want to do well. And so I began the process. So one of the sections is on bonding. And I think in order to be a church that heals, we have to learn how to be able to bond with both God and other people. So the scripture that he grounds his teaching in, I don't know, have you ever had this, like somebody grounds their teaching in and uses it and you're like, well, it kind of works. So I'm going to share with you what he said, see what you think, and then I'm going to share some of my thoughts. So could you bring up the second Corinthians passage? All right. So this is Paul. And he, I think you need a little context here to make sense of this quote. Paul has just shared a list of the things that he's gone through, the hard things that he's gone through. He has given, it's actually quite long. It's like almost the first 11 verses, uh, maybe four through 11. And he's just listing all the things. They've been through great hardships. We've been through affliction. We've been through calamity. We've been beaten. We've been imprisoned. I haven't been sleeping well. Sleepless nights. Hunger. And then he said, um, let's see. We've been through by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speaking, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. In honor and dishonor. So he's received honor. He's received dishonor. Ill repute, good repute. So he's been treated with ill repute. So people have said things about him. We were treated as imposters. Who likes to be treated like that? And yet we're true. Have you ever been treated unfairly? I have. Um, unknown, and yet known. Dying, and see we're all alive. As punished and not killed. We're sorrowful, yet we're rejoicing. We're poor. So he's just saying it all. We're poor, but we're making rich. We have nothing, and yet we possess everything. And he's saying, we've spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Open, our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affection, but only in yours. In return, I speak also to children. Open wide your hearts also. So Paul is saying here, I have opened wide. I have told you all the things that are going on. I have told you how people have talked about me, how they have treated me, what I've been going through. Open wide your heart. And he says, and I invite you to do the same. You cannot connect with somebody if you are not willing to open wide your heart. If you're not willing to let them actually know what's going on. I've heard a lot of people say, well, if I say it, it, it would this be too much for you? Would it be, you know, will this be too much? And I want you to know it, it's, not, it's not too much. You're not too much for most people. You have to be wise, right? You're not going to share your deepest, darkest secrets to all human beings. But you do need to find that place where you can open wide your heart. And what does it mean, open wide? I've been thinking about what does it mean? It means to, you have to tell somebody what's really going on. 
I remember there was a, a parishioner, and this is like not a stand, a parishioner went to a therapist from this church years and years and years ago, and I asked, like, what did you, what did you get? Like, after the, what did, what did you get? And, like, the therapist says, I need a friend. I need friends. I'm like, you went through all this therapy, and I'm not surprised, but we need friends. Um, I find it interesting in a way that I'm giving this message because I don't think it's easy for me. I don't think it's easy for me to bond with people and, and to share what's really going on. Like, I have to work at it. I have to actually, like, tell myself in my head, I think this is a safe person. You should tell them what is going on. Like, I have to tell myself, this is an okay person. Tell them. It's not, like, easy for me to just share what's going on. Uh, the second scripture that he uses is this John passage. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or, or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And what he's saying here is if you can't connect with people, like loving people, then you can't in a way connect with God. They're both relationships. You have the same relational skills to connect with God that you have to connect with people. So some people will say, I don't do people, but I really love God. Like, we're so close. And I think, maybe, maybe. But if you can't love your neighbor, can you really relationally connect with God? So I've been thinking about this because in an age where we're isolated, right, in an age where we can't bond with other people, if 50% of people, 55 say, they can't bond with anybody, how can they connect with God? Thank goodness God is gracious and God comes to us and God pursues us. So it's not all like, do you have these skills or not? I just think we need to realize that if you're not capable of connecting with a human, you might also struggle connecting with God. So in the curriculum, okay, so pause that. So those were his verses. So I stepped outside, and I was like, what do I think the scripture says about bonding and community? Like, you might have your own scriptures that pop in your head. I'm thinking about this, because scripture doesn't say, like, doesn't use the word vulnerable, doesn't use the word bonding, it doesn't use the, the words, but it's, we're broken, and this is an illness that we have. And so I wonder if Jesus came today, some of the stories might be Jesus healed, healed them of isolation. God healed them of depression. God, the woman touched God. Maybe the woman, instead of bleeding for 30 years, had been having panic attacks for 30 years and touched Jesus and was healed. I think they would look different. And I also think scripture tells us, have you ever, okay, Acts, I think it's Acts 3, where it talks about how the Christians should be, we should meet together daily like meeting together daily. Okay, as an American and as an introvert, I think that sounds terrible. I, I was like, being with people every single day and having intimate relationships, that sounds, I, I mean, I just, that's what, that's what I actually think when I read that. I was like, how about twice a week? Sounds great. Um, and then it just shows me how American I am. Like, I don't think that a lot of this was a problem, probably. I mean, for individual people, there's always going to be people. But as a community, I don't think this was a huge problem in this culture because they did everything together. I think this is a modern illness. And Jesus would come and he would touch us and heal differently. 
So I have some questions. Some of them are mine and some of them are right from the training that I want you to work through today and to think through today and process and kind of walk through. And the first question is, can you bring up that first question? How isolated are you feeling these days? Just first gut response. How isolated do you feel these days? Do you have a person? Just be honest with yourself. If you have paper or a journal, this would be a great Sunday to use them. If you don't, I hope you have a very sharp memory. I do not. All right, you got that in your head. You're honest with yourself. Um, the next question is, to help us process this, is how's your trust muscle? Just notice which is yours. How is your trust muscle? How do you feel about sharing what's going on where everybody can't see? You know, we call it here, we've talked about under the iceberg. We got this part that I show you all, this tiny bit of my life, but we're, what's really going on, you don't know unless I tell you. How is your trust muscle at letting people, sharing that with people? So that's a quick one, but not easy. None of them are easy. The next one, I don't like easy questions. Uh, what, now, this is one I really wish you had paper so you could take it home and think about it. What difficult experiences have impacted your ability to bond? Ask the Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. Scripture calls him our teacher and our counselor to give you wisdom and knowledge. Like what pops in your head? Like this is, this is one reason why it's really hard. This is, this is 12 reasons why it's really hard for me to bond. Brené Brown, who writes a lot about shame, says you only need one person. And you're so fortunate if you have one person that you can share everything. And I've thought, I need more. I do. I need more than that. And my spiritual director sister Lillian says, you need lots of friends. Because you talk about different things with different people. I talk about different things with Julie, and she unearths different things in me and brings out, and I bring out different things in her than I ever, I mean, not ever, but often do with Kathleen. Kathleen and I talk about different things than when Juliana and I went together and had coffee. And Kelly, like, it's each of you, if I have a conversation with you, we talk about different things, and we grow different things in one another. We need the body. But it is nice that Brené Brown says that all you really need is one. Sometimes it's good to come back to that one person. The next question, blocked from bonding. Are there any people in your life, this is one of the reasons sometimes we're just stuck and we can't bond with other people because 
there are people in your life that have hurt you and you are struggling to forgive them. And usually, if we're all honest, there is somebody at all times that you are struggling to forgive at any given moment, or you need to forgive, or you're in the process, process of forgiving. Um, there could be two or three people. If you're very honest, you're in the process of forgiving. It's hard for me to forgive, and I always felt like um, that's a terrible thing to say about myself. And, um, but it is. It's hard for me to forgive. I learned in the Enneagram, and I'm a one, and it says it's hard for ones to forgive. I'm like, oh. I thought how nice it must be for the rest of you if it's easier. I was like, that must be lovely. Because it's, it's not. It takes a lot. I feel like God and I talk a lot about me needing to forgive people. And the, I feel like the Holy Spirit brings it up gently over and over again. Hey, you ready now? Let's, let's talk about this now. You could forgive this person. And we'll talk about it. And I might be like, yeah, I think I am. And then, and then I'll hold the resentment. And we'll bring it up again. And the Holy Spirit will be like, I think you're still angry with them. Or how? And I'll be like, yes, I am because. And then we talk about it. But God is gracious and doesn't judge me as harshly as I judge myself at all. And so we just, we just get there. We get there. So here's the next. Let's move to the next question. Why bother? Why bother? Because you guys, it can be a lot of work. It can, right? To bond with somebody and to share. And sometimes you have to, doesn't you kind of feel like a lot of times you have to be the person to pursue other people? And I know sometimes people have to pursue me. My friend Kirsten says to me, when you're not doing well, you hide. And I was like, oh, thank you. So it can be hard to benefit. And I was like, no, I don't. Have you ever had a really good friend that tells you something like that? I do not. And then you think about it, and you're like, well, maybe, maybe that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So um, it can be hard. So go to the next one. What are the benefits? These are just some. These are some that I thought of and some that Henry Cloud thought of. When we are bonded to others, to God and our families, we choose to live a certain way as to not harm and to love others. So when you're really close when Audrey and Kelly are really close, Kelly might be, I should use myself. When Heidi and Jamie are really close, and I'm very close to my children, and I feel tempted to do something that you would not think I'd be tempted to because I'm a pastor, and I choose not to do it because it would hurt him, and I love him. And I choose not to do it because it would hurt my children, and I love them. I would say that probably many of you, this, this is something, when you're really close to somebody, or, you know, I've honestly thought, that would hurt my church so bad. I know you don't think I could ever think about them, but I'm like, I love them. They got enough hurt in their lives. I don't need to do this. I really don't. So sometimes simply by being in community with people, you choose to make different decisions because you're not alone. If nobody will know and nobody cares, and just do whatever, you know, do whatever. So sometimes I've changed what I do because I love you, and I love Jamie, and I love my kids, and I love my parents, and I love my sister, and you just choose to live differently. All right, look at the next one. This is another. This is right from Henry Cloud, so I quoted him. When people have good friends to support them, they can handle stressful situations more easily. Bonds of love with other people and with God can bring us through difficult days. Life is hard enough. 
And it just helps when you have people that you can really, really be yourself and you can really share what's going on. All right, here's another one. The next one is, okay, we can't deal with shame on our own. We need community to help us heal. We all carry shame. It's part of being human. And you cannot heal from it on your own. You just carry it inside of yourself. You just carry it with you on your own, wherever you go. Shame can only be healed in community with another person. So I think that's a pretty good benefit of bonding. I've been surprised sometimes that, um, and can I just tell you that Kurt Thompson says, and he is an amazing Christian psychiatrist, that we experience shame several times every day. Every, every person. Every person experiences shame several times every day. Um, and I think I've, I've talked with a person, maybe not the most social, like aware of themselves, and he's like, I think I had shame once in my life. And I just want you to know, like, it's normal. Like, if you just really start to look at yourself, you experience shame. And the only way to heal from that is with other people. And I would go so far to say is sometimes you don't even have to talk about it, just being with them. Just being with another person can heal you in ways that might surprise you. You don't have to say, well, here's the three ways I experienced shame today. Um, studies say that families that just simply eat dinner together, that it's healing just to sit at a table together, and it's healing. So, you know, you don't have to be sitting there and thinking, all right, today I'm going to tell Jamie before I go to bed the four ways I experienced shame so I can be healed. Just, just being with people. But sometimes you have to verbalize it. Sometimes. All right, there's next one. I think there's one more. Ah, this is another reason why. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Ooh, that's forbearance. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those can only be in community. Those happen in community. You don't have those by yourself. I mean, yes, sometimes. But even, even, Audrey said this one time, you can even have these alone with God, right? Because it's a relationship. You can experience joy, peace, patience. It's relational. So it either is with God or with other people. It's the benefit of bonding. These. And no one can find anything. There's no law. Like, nobody can find anything wrong. I mean, if I could live that way, you'd all want to be my best friend. <laughs> Uh, okay, next slide. Thanks, Eric. All right, when we fail to bond. I mean, this is, this is pretty obvious. When we fail to bond, we find ourselves lonely, depressed. Oh, it should be anxious. There's a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of depression in our culture. We find ourselves isolated. We're, we have a, like a, have you noticed when you're alone too much, you have a thwarted way of thinking. Like your thinking just goes a little crazy. Like sometimes I say, I run my ideas by Jamie. He's like, ah, he gently says, I, I'm not really sure that's the way it happened. Right? And can you imagine if you didn't bounce those off of people? And I'm like, well, what do you think you saw? And he'll tell me, I'm like, oh, that's a much nicer story than the one I told myself. And I would gather probably often more accurate because it's not in my own head. Um, I've also been listening to podcasts 
who are saying that people, um, part of why we're experiencing this is because people are not going to church. Like that pe less and less people are going to church and church is where we learn, where we, we have taught people how to be in community. And I've even heard funny podcasts where they're like, well, people aren't going to church. Can we accomplish this with a bowling club? And they're like, maybe we could try a bowling club. They're like trying to find all these ways that we could accomplish what the church accomplished without people having to go to church. And I thought that was the funniest one I heard. It's like, well, what if we came back to bowling clubs? Or what if we did these kind of, and I think they're actually important, like those fun clubs that you do, but they don't, they don't have that, that same element of serving and giving and, oh God, <laughs> the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Um, so my oldest daughter, I know a lot of you don't know her, but she lives in Seattle and she's getting ready to graduate from college. It goes super fast. And um, she was loving Seattle so much when she first moved there. Like, I'm going to stay here forever. I love Seattle. It's so amazing. They're so like, you know, different from home. And I'm like, oh, you know, inside you're like, oh. And recently she's been coming home and she says, I miss the small town. I miss the community. She, we went to the store every Christmas Eve and we ran into the den herders. We ran into our neighbors. We ran into our other neighbor. And she's like, I love this. She goes, I don't even know my neighbors. Nobody talks to anybody. She goes, I want to live in a small town where people know each other, where people know. And I have noticed, um, I don't know, like I try not to use my kids very much as examples. Um, because I think that's polite. And, you know, um, but what I've noticed is this last two years, so she started nannying. And she's in people's homes. She's very different. She's much happier. Much happier. And I told her yesterday, she's taking care of a little girl with high uh, special, like special needs. She's nannying. It's a lot of work. It's one kid. She makes way more money than I make taking care of this one kid with special needs. It's a lot of work. And she's so happy. She's so much happier than I've seen. And I said to her, I see that when you are serving and helping take care of this little person, you are so much happier. And she said, you said that to me last year when I started nannying the other kids. And I said, yes, I see that when you are in these homes and you're with these people, that you're happier. And over and over again, I hear this, I hear this said, like, if you're miserable, if you're lonely, go serve somebody, take care of somebody else. I think, I think God made us that way. I don't think I'm coming up with anything, you know, amazing. I think God created us to take care of other people. And when you do, you're more satisfied. You get out of your head, like just do something, um, take care of other people. I just see so much in her that she's so much, so much happier. All right, here's the next one. Oh, this is a good question. What would a detached, you get to fill in the blank. What would a detached you look like? What would a detached Heidi? Like kind of, uh, what would a detached mom? Like your different roles. What would a detached mom look like? What would a detached dad look like? What would a detached, you know, you have, if you're a parent, child. Like if you're detached from your parents, um, even your work. Like, what you do, what would a detached lawyer look like? Or, you know what I mean? What would a detached pastor? What would it look like if I was detached from you? Me. What would it look like for me to be detached? 
What would it look like for you, from your grandkids, from your kids? What does it look like? I have a few, few more. That one is like one worth thinking about because in a way, it's almost easier for me to see what I would look like detached and then I can move to, well, how can I move that? How can I change that, you know? How can I pick that phone up or write that letter or say that hard thing? Um, all right, next one, barriers. What did your caretaker caretakers teach you both about the world and about God. This is just a phrase I put in there for many of you who've taken that class. This is another going back to go forward. You look back to see what you've been given because you're going to live the way you've been given unless you change. There's like, there's now like two trains. There's two trains moving in one direction and you automatically get on the one that you were born into. Like, here's my train. This feels comfortable. I know this train. This is the train I've been on. And there's often, there's a healthier train running beside you. And you actually have to get off of the train you're on and step onto the other train. And if you don't pay attention, what you find yourself doing is, I'm back over here. I'm isolating. I'm back over here. I'm not telling you what's going on. And you keep going. And then you, you sit with the scriptures. You sit with God. You sit with a friend. And you're invited to get back on that other train and to open up again, to pick up your phone, to get out of isolation. So there's the two trains. And what train? What did your parents teach you about the world and about God? You could, like, journal on that for a whole day or month and then say, well... How is the Holy Spirit inviting me to enter the world a little bit differently? Or a lot differently. <laughs> Next slide, please. All right. We each have our own distorted way of thinking. This is a very long list because there are lots of human beings. We come up with all sorts of ways to look at the world through skewy glasses. Each of us our own. Uh, which one of these? There's a long list. And this is just the first page. Some of us think, I'm bad. I'm just, I'm, I'm unlovable. Okay, and the more honest you are with yourself, the more of these you will circle. It's true. Some of you are like, well, I've got one. I mean, come on. Sometimes if you're super honest, you'll be like, more of them are true than less. Something about me scares people away. I have felt that. Something about me scares people away. That woman is a bit much. Uh, yeah, anyways. All right, next. My sins are worse than other people's sins. People will always leave me. People are mean and critical. The one you go, oh. People will disapprove of me. People will control me. I don't deserve love. God doesn't answer prayer. Next slide. Thanks, Eric. My, I hear this one a lot. My neediness will overwhelm anyone. My need for others is not valid. No one is trustworthy. I heard a college student say one time, once you open up your mouth, you have no control what they're going to do with it. I was like, ooh, 
That's true. That's a scary way to go through the world. God doesn't hear me. God won't forgive. Or, yeah, God won't forgive. I think I owe me for dot, dot, dot. God will control me and take away my freedom. I heard a, I heard a 17-year-old say this recently. God will control, like he, what he said was, I don't know what God's going to make me do and what he's going to have me, like God will make me do yet. I'm like, what's your next step? I, God hasn't told me what he's going to make me do and I have to do. And I was like, let's reframe that. <laughs> Let me, let's just say that differently. Like, what if God loves you so much? Let's go look at it that way. What maybe, what brings you great joy and delight? Now what's next? <laughs> but I think we've taught that. God will send you to Africa, Iraq. Kelly shared that recently. Um, people are faking their care. Ouch. God doesn't really love me. God doesn't care about the way I feel. And God just wants me to be good. God just wants me to be good. Hard, hard to teach something different than that sometimes in Sunday school. It, kids hear that, right? I just need to be good. It's hard to teach more than that, the relational aspect. I've heard that come out of my kids from Sunday school, and I want to be like, oh, no, 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 wait a minute here. No, no, no. No, there's more. Um, so I hope today, well, my hope is that you will feel encouraged by looking at yourself, by looking where you're at, to bond, to be vulnerable. To take some time to think about, what do I need to do to be close to another human being? There have been times when I have been very lonely, like very lonely. Um, I went through my spiritual formation program, and they did a lot of really great teaching like on areas like the Trinity that were like academic and made me think and I loved it. But the one that, one of the ones that stuck with me was Dan talking about we need friends. And uh, he's also, a, he's a really, really brainy, awkward person. And he talked about how hard it was for him to find friends. Um, he's a professor at George Fox, super smart, writes books, super academic, really odd. And he just was really honest about how hard and how hard he had to work. He's like, I invited people out. I would buy them food. And I would think, are we going to connect? Nope, not this one. He goes, so I tried again. He goes, because I was so lonely. And, um, and I was lonely as a pastor. Like, I, I wanted a female pastor friend. Those are not easy to come by around here. And um, I have one. Her name is Brenda. And we talk about things the rest of you guys don't want to talk about. We talk about our sermons. We talk about like meetings. How do you guys run this meeting? Well, this is how we run ours. Well, we take an eight minute aside. I'm like, you guys don't care. You're like, please no. But she gets excited about it. She says, that's a great idea. You need friends like that. I don't, I, I don't want to get together with Jeff and talk about finances. I just, I just don't like, I'm like, oh, that's great. What else do you want to talk about? Like, so you need, you need friends that want to talk about the things you want to talk about. So I hope, I hope, um, I hope you feel prompted. I hope you feel prompted to keep reaching out, to be the one, to make the call. That's my prayer. That's what I was really hoping as I was praying and writing this. A church that grows, and it doesn't even have to be a lot of people. 
I would propose it doesn't even have to be somebody here. You know what I mean? That's your closest, but just share with some, some people. Like some people here are your, your people, but it doesn't have to be like your one or your two. We just need people. Um, I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, over you, for you this week. Kind and gracious God, I thank you that you created us for relationship. We see that we are not always naturally good at it. And we ask for your, we ask for your mercy for each of us here. Would you please bring us friends that we can walk this road with? Would you please bring us people who we can share the things that we didn't think we could share? And God, could we also bond with you as we bond with others? As I get closer to the humans in my life, uh, would I also get closer to you and be able to share the deeper parts of who I am? Be with us this week. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt in us, that it would bring this back to us, that we'd be reminded and that we would uh, would re reach out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, I wanted to end, Eric, with that song, and I did not communicate that to you, did I? No, sorry. Okay, so the song that Jamie, is this possible? The song that Jamie sang, that's like a better version of my sermon, really. So if I want him to play that, and you just sit and just pray and listen.